0: chapter eleven of the monastery by walter scott this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter eleven you call this education do you not why tis the forced march of a herd of bullocks before a shouting drover the glad van move on at ease and pause a while to snatch a passing morsel from the dewy greensword while all the blows the oaths the indignation fall on the croup of the ill-fated laggard that cripples in the rear old play two or three years glided on during which the storm of the approaching alteration in church government became each day louder and more perilous owing to the circumstances which we have intimated in the end of the last chapter the sub-prior eustace appeared to have altered considerably his habits of life he afforded on all extraordinary occasions to the abbot whether privately or in the assembled chapter the support of his wisdom and experience but in his ordinary habits he seemed now to live more for himself and less for the community than had been his former practice he often absented himself for whole days from the convent and as the adventure of glendearg dwelt deeply on his memory he was repeatedly induced to visit that lonely tower and to take an interest in the orphans who had their shelter under its roof besides he felt a deep anxiety to know whether the volume which he had lost when so strangely preserved from the lance of the murderer had again found its way back to the tower of Glendearg. It was strange, he thought, that a spirit-for such he could not help judging the being whose voice he had heard-should on the one side seek the advancement of heresy, and on the other interpose to save the life of a zealous Catholic priest. But from no inquiry which he made of the various inhabitants of the Tower of Glendirg, could he learn that the copy of the translated scriptures, for which he made such diligent inquiry, had again been seen by any of them. In the meanwhile, the good father's occasional visits were of no small consequence to Edward Glendinning and to Mary Abenel. The former displayed a power of apprehending and retaining whatever was taught him, which tilled Father Eustace with admiration he was at once acute and industrious alert and accurate one of those rare combinations of talent and industry which are seldom united it was the earnest desire of father eustace that the excellent qualities thus early displayed by edward should be dedicated to the service of the church to which he thought the youth's own consent might be easily obtained as he was of a calm contemplative retired habit and seemed to consider knowledge as the principal object and its enlargement as the greatest pleasure in life as to the mother the sub-prior had little doubt that trained as she was to view the monks of st mary's with such profound reverence she would be but too happy in an opportunity of enrolling one of her sons in its honoured community but the good father proved to be mistaken in both these particulars when he spoke to elspeth glendinning of that which a mother best loves to hear the proficiency and abilities of her son she listened with a delighted ear but when father eustace hinted at the duty of dedicating to the service of the church talents which seemed fitted to defend and adorn it the dame endeavoured always to shift the subject and when pressed farther enlarged on her own incapacity as a lone woman to manage the few on the advantage which her neighbours of the township were often taking of her unprotected state and on the wish which she had that edward might fill his father's place remain in the tower and close her eyes on such occasions the sub-prior would answer that even in a worldly point of view the welfare of the family would be best consulted by one of the sons entering into the community of St. Mary's, as it was not to be supposed that he would fail to afford his family the important protection which he could then easily extend towards them. What could be a more pleasing prospect than to see him high in honour, or what more sweet than to have the last duties rendered to her by a son? revered for his holiness of life and exemplary manners. Besides, he endeavoured to impress upon the dame that her eldest son, Halbert, whose bold temper and headstrong indulgence of a wandering humour rendered him incapable of learning, was, for that reason, as well as that he was her eldest born, fittest to bustle through the affairs of the world and manage the little fief. Elspeth durst not directly dissent from what was proposed, for fear of giving displeasure, and yet she always had something to say against it. Halbert, she said, was not like any of the neighbour boys. He was taller by the head and stronger by the half than any boy of his years within the halidome, but he was fit for no peaceful work that could be devised. If he liked a book ill, he liked a plough or a paddle worse. He had scoured his father's old broadsword, suspended it by a belt around his waist, and seldom stirred without it. He was a sweet boy, and a gentle, if spoken fair. But cross him, and he was a born devil. In a word," she said, bursting into tears, "'deprive me of Edward, good father, and ye bereave my house a prop and pillar, for my heart tells me that Halbert will take to his father's gates, and die his father's death.'" When the conversation came to this crisis, the good-humoured monk was always content to drop the discussion for the time trusting some opportunity would occur of removing her prejudices for such he thought them against edward's proposed destination when leaving the mother the sub-prior addressed himself to the son animating his zeal for knowledge and pointing out how amply it might be gratified should he agree to take holy orders he found the same repugnance which dame elspeth had exhibited edward pleaded a want of sufficient vocation to so serious a profession his reluctance to leave his mother and other objections which the sub-prior treated as evasive i plainly perceive he said one day in answer to them that the devil has his factors as well as heaven and that they are equally or alas the former are perhaps more active in bespeaking for their master the first of the market i trust young man that neither idleness nor licentious pleasure nor the love of worldly gain and worldly grandeur the chief baits with which the great fisher of souls conceals his hook are the causes of your declining the career to which I would incite you. But above all I trust, above all I hope, that the vanity of superior knowledge, a sin with which those who have made proficiency in learning are most frequently beset, has not led you into the awful hazard of listening to the dangerous doctrines which are now afloat concerning religion. Better for you that you were as grossly ignorant as the beasts which perish than that the pride of knowledge should induce you to lend an ear to the voice of heretics. Edward Glendinning listened to the rebuke with a downcast look, and failed not, when it was concluded, earnestly to vindicate himself from the charge of having pushed his studies into any subjects which the church inhibited. And so the monk was left to form vain conjectures, respecting the cause of his reluctance to embrace the monastic state. It is an old proverb, used by Chaucer, and quoted by Elizabeth, that the greatest clerks are not the wisest men. And it is as true as if the poet had not rhymed, or the Queen reasoned on it. If Father Eustace had not had his thoughts turned so much to the progress of heresy, and so little to what was passing in the Tower, he might have read in the speaking eyes of Mary Avenel, now a girl of fourteen or fifteen, reasons which might disincline her youthful companion towards the monastic vows i have said that she also was a promising pupil of the good father upon whom her innocent and infantine beauty had an effect of which he was himself perhaps unconscious her rank and expectations entitled her to be taught the arts of reading and writing and each lesson which the monk assigned her was conned over in company with edward and by him explained and re-explained and again illustrated until she became perfectly mistress of it in the beginning of their studies halbert had been their school companion but the boldness and impatience of his disposition soon quarrelled with an occupation in which without assiduity and unremitted attention no progress was to be expected the sub-prior's visits were at regular intervals and often weeks would intervene between them in which case halbert was sure to forget all that had been prescribed for him to learn and much which he had partly acquired before his deficiencies on these occasions gave him pain but it was not of that sort which produces amendment for a time like all who are fond of idleness he endeavored to detach the attention of his brother and mary avenel from their task rather than to learn his own and such dialogues as the following would ensue take your bonnet edward and make haste the laird of Combsley is at the head of the glen with his hounds i care not halbert answered the younger brother two brace of dogs may kill a deer without my being there to see them and i must help mary avenel with her lesson ay you will labour at the monk's lessons till you turn monk yourself answered halbert mary will you go with me and i will show you the cushat's nest i told you of i cannot go with you halbert answered mary because i must study this lesson it will take me long to learn it i am sorry i am so dull for if i could get my task as fast as edward I should like to go with you should you indeed said halbert then i will wait for you and what is more i will try to get my lesson also with a smile and a sigh he took up the primer and began heavily to con over the task which had been assigned him as if banished from the society of the two others he sat sad and solitary in one of the deep window recesses and after in vain struggling with the difficulties of his task and his disinclination to learn it he found himself involuntarily engaged in watching the movements of the other two students instead of toiling any longer the picture which halbert looked upon was delightful in itself but somehow or other it afforded very little pleasure to him the beautiful girl with looks of simple yet earnest anxiety was bent on disentangling those intricacies which obstructed her progress to knowledge and looking ever and anon to edward for assistance while seated close by her side and watchful to remove every obstacle from her way, he seemed at once to be proud of the progress which his pupil made, and of the assistance which he was able to render her. There was a bond betwixt them, a strong and interesting tie, the desire of obtaining knowledge, the pride of surmounting difficulties. Feeling most acutely, yet ignorant of the nature and source of his own emotions, halbert could no longer endure to look upon this quiet scene, but starting up, dashed his book from him and exclaimed aloud to the fiend i bequeath all books and the dreamers that make them i would a score of southrons would come up the glen and we should learn how little all this muttering and scribbling is worth mary avenel and his brother started and looked at halbert with surprise while he went on with great animation his features swelling and the tears starting into his eyes as he spoke yes mary i wish a score of southrons came up the glen this very day and you should see one good hand and one good sword do more to protect you than all the books that were ever opened and all the pens that ever grew on a goose's wing mary looked a little surprised and a little frightened at his vehemence but instantly replied affectionately you are vexed halbert because you do not get your lesson so fast as edward can and so am i for i am as stupid as you but come and edward shall sit betwixt us and teach us he shall not teach me said halbert in the same angry mood i never can teach him to do anything that is honourable and manly and he shall not teach me any of his monkish tricks i hate the monks with their drawling nasal tone like so many frogs and their long black petticoats like so many women and their reverences and their lordships and their lazy vassals that do nothing but pedal in the mire with plough and harrow from Yule to Micamas, i will call none lord but him who wears a sword to make his title good and i will call none man but he that can bear himself manlike and masterful for heaven's sake peace brother," said edward if such words were taken up and reported out of the house they would be our mother's ruin report them yourself then and they will be your making and nobody's marring save mine own say that halbert glendinning will never be vassal to an old man with a cowl and shaven crown while there are twenty barons who wear cask and plume that lack bold followers let them grant you these wretched acres and much meal may they bear you to make your brocken he left the room hastily but instantly returned and continued to speak with the same tone of quick and irritated feeling and you need not think so much neither of you and especially you edward need not think so much of your parchment book there and your cunning in reading it by my faith i will soon learn to read as well as you and for i know a better teacher than your grim old monk and a better book than his printed breviary. and since you like scholarcraft so well mary avanel you shall see whether edward or i have most of it he left the apartment and came not again what can be the matter with him said mary following halbert with her eyes from the window as with hasty and unequal steps he ran up the wild glen where can your brother be going edward what book what teacher does he talk of it avails not guessing said edward halbert is angry he knows not why and speaks of he knows not what let us go again to our lessons and he will come home when he has tired himself with scrambling among the crags as usual but mary's anxiety on account of halbert seemed more deeply rooted she declined prosecuting the task in which they had been so pleasingly engaged under the excuse of a headache nor could edward prevail upon her to resume it again that morning meanwhile halbert his head unbonneted his features swelled with jealous anger and the tears still in his eye sped up the wild and upper extremity of the little valley of Glendearg with the speed of a roebuck choosing as if in desperate defiance of the difficulties of the way the wildest and most dangerous paths and voluntarily exposing himself a hundred times to dangers which he might have escaped by turning a little aside from them it seemed as if he wished his course to be as straight as that of the arrow to its mark he arrived at length in a narrow and secluded clutch or deep ravine which ran down the valley and contributed a scanty rivulet to the supply of the brook with which Glendirg is watered. Up this he sped with the same precipitate haste which had marked his departure from the tower, nor did he pause and look around until he had reached the fountain from which the rivulet had its rise. Here Halbert stopped short, and cast a gloomy and almost a frightened glance around him. A huge rock rose in front, from a cleft of which grew a wild holly-tree, whose dark green branches rustled over the spring which arose beneath the banks on either hand rose so high and approached each other so closely that it was only when the sun was at its meridian height and during the summer solstice that its rays could reach the bottom of the chasm in which he stood but it was now summer and the hour was noon so that the unwonted reflection of the sun was dancing in the pellucid fountain it is the season and the hour said halbert to himself and now i i might soon become wiser than edward with all his pains Mary should see whether he alone is fit to be consulted, and to sit by her side, and hang over her as she reads, and point out every word and every letter. And she loves me better than him, I am sure she does, for she comes of noble blood, and scorns sloth and cowardice. And do I myself not stand here slothful and cowardly as any priest of them all? Why should I fear to call upon this form, this shape? Already have I endured the vision, and why not again? What can it do to me? Wim a man of lith and limb and have by my side my father's sword does my heart beat do my hairs bristle at the thought of calling up a painted shadow and how should i face a band of southrons in flesh and blood by the soul of the first glendinning i will make proof of the charm he cast the leathern brogue or buskin from his right foot planted himself in a firm posture unsheathed his sword and first looking around to collect his resolution he bowed three times deliberately towards the holly-tree, and as often to the little fountain, repeating at the same time, with a determined voice, the following rhyme. Thrice to the holly-break, thrice to the well, I bid thee awake, white maid of Avenel. Noon gleams on the lake, noon glows on the fell, Wake thee, awake, white maid of avanel these lines were hardly uttered, when there stood the figure of a female clothed in white, within three steps of Halbert Glendinning. I guess t'was frightful there to see, a lady richly clad as she, beautiful exceedingly. Footnote, Coleridge's Christabel End of chapter 11